Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, me, uh, I am, my name is Brad Kurz, as, as Danny mentioned there. I, I live in Hannibal with my wife, Sarah, and my two children, Kendall and Caleb, who will both be at Hannibal Middle School this year. Um, so Jim called me this week and asked me to fill in for you. And, and so as a, as a lay speaker, I'm not an ordained pastor. I'm a lay speaker, and I, I attend Arch United Methodist Church south of town. And so um, I often will fill in for pastors from time to time in Methodist and Presbyterian churches. And, but I always said that the job of a lay speaker, uh, like myself, is, is somebody told me one time when I started, they said, well, it's simply one beggar telling the other beggars where he found a little bread. And that's kind of the way I see my, my role. And, and oftentimes what I do, I, I'm just going to share what's been kind of on my mind and on my heart lately and, um, and pray that the, the guy can use that to, uh, to enlighten us maybe, or, or, but, but ultimately just to simply glorify him. And if I've got to be honest with you, the thing that's been on my mind this week is, well, something that irritates me. Uh, in fact, is there anything that you have in your life that just, it just rubs you the wrong way? It kind of grates on your nerves or irritates you? Um, think about um, your, in your family. Is there anything, maybe in my family, is there something that somebody does that just really rubs me wrong? Now, now I'm not saying name a person. Naming your spouse or your, or your sibling probably isn't the right thing there, but something they do that might rub you wrong. Um, that may not happen to you guys. You guys never get irritated, but I'll be honest, I do sometimes. In fact, there's one thing that just annoys me to no end, and it's really not a big deal. But in our house, we have a trash can out back, and so during the, during the week, we throw trash in it, the trash bag in there, and then I take it up when the trash man comes on the weekend or whenever. Well, it drives me nuts when one of my kids or somebody throws a box in that big, in that big trash can and didn't break it down. I, it's not really a big deal but it drives me nuts. And I, so yesterday morning, Saturday morning, I got out there and there were two boxes in the trash can. And well, the lid, when you put the boxes, don't come down, the lid doesn't even close, they don't stack right. And so I opened the lid and I, I kind of took it out and threw it on the, I first usually, it's, there's a big dramatic sigh that I usually make, like, again. So I take the trash out and take the boxes out and aside, what I usually do is I kind of throw them on the side of the driveway where, because our driveway kind of goes behind our house where everybody will see it, so they'll know that I had to take those boxes out, and I kind of make a point of it, and later I'll make the kids go break them down. And Well, I'm totally honest, I kind of overreact when, when they leave those boxes in the trash can. You know, I guess I would, I would think, is there anything for you guys that really rubs you wrong like that that you may have a tendency to maybe overreact or kind of pout or throw a little fit like I, I, I kind of described there? So I got thinking about this this week. What would it be like if I kind of did the opposite? What, what type of reaction should I make there that would be kind of amazing and unprecedented that would cause my wife to say, well, that was different. I mean, like in a good way. Or, or would cause my kids to say, man, what happened to dad? Like in a good way. He's not kind of throwing that fit about the, the trash like he normally does. What, what would it take for me to do that to, to catch their attention? But on a good way rather than be kind of throwing a little bit of a fit. And so I thought, well, I guess it would be whenever I noticed the trash in our house getting close to being full, instead of trying to cram one more thing in the trash can and hope somebody else takes it out, it would be to take it out myself during the week and just look to see if there are any boxes in there. And I could break them down the week as, as it went on. Then I wouldn't have to worry about them Saturday morning. That, that would be pretty simple. Or if I noticed there was a box that was done, I could 
take it down to the trash myself and break it down on my own uh, rather than waiting on somebody else to do it. I guess, you know, those would really be pretty simple things for me to do. And I'd say they probably make life a little better for my wife and kids if I thought about it. And, well, it's just a little bit better version of myself. And, I mean, that'd be a good practice, right? Because, frankly, I owe it to my wife and kids to be the best version of myself I can be. So if I can do something small like that, that'd make a difference. But there's another reason that I ought to focus on doing that. And the second reason would be, well, Jesus commands it. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, But before I get to that, is there anything that really drives you nuts or bugs you? Just think about that as we go throughout the message today. I'm going to kind of push pause on that button and I'll go to the scripture. Now, uh, the scripture I'm going to be reading from is Matthew chapter 5. And it's part of the the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'm going to pick up at verse 38 and we'll read through verse 48. Uh, so if you want to follow along with me, you're welcome to. I think I've got the same, is it ESV version in your pews, I think? I think it's, I've got the same version there. Um, so uh, the Sermon on the Mount obviously starts off with uh, some of the Beatitudes, and then um, it, it's, it's one of Jesus' most famous teachings. And I'm going to pick up, and, I, and you're going to start there actually in verse 20, where Jesus kind of talks about some Old Testament teachings, but he kind of turns the intensity up a little bit on some of those Old Testament teachings, or kind of focuses in a little more on some of the Old Testament teachings, and that's what we're kind of in the middle of when I pick up here reading from verse 38. Uh, so Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 38. You have, heard it, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So must be perfect, as our heavenly Father is perfect. That's that's kind of a challenging way to end that. But what I was getting at before, talking about kind of being the best version of ourselves, and I said that secondly, more importantly, it's what Jesus demands. And I think this, where this, that's where I take this scripture, and that's where I'm, I'm kind of led by this scripture today. Um, you know, it, Jesus teaches us how he wants us to react in a variety of situations. And if someone slaps us in the right cheek, um, someone who sues us and takes our tunic um, or your shirt, someone who forces you to go a mile. And he, he tells us then we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, It's pretty clear a normal reaction isn't what Jesus was going for. Now, 
if I think back about this, that example I gave you before, a normal reaction would have just been me, for me to take care of tearing up the box without throwing the fit. Um, but Jesus isn't pushing us to be a normal reaction. In fact, if it's not a normal reaction, it's got to be one of two things, right? We have to either overreact or underreact, um, I guess we could call it. And so we'll talk a little about overreactions first. Again, that's kind of what I was describing for myself, how I overreacted when I found the trash. Or, but we've all seen someone overreact, haven't we? When someone blows up, they raise their voice, they maybe start yelling. If it happens in public, people stop and they stare. You kind of look that way. Um, if it happens in the workplace, well, it raises some eyebrows and everything kind of stops. Uh, now, I know it doesn't happen in any of your homes, but I've heard there are people that overreact in their homes too, maybe with a family member. I'm not sure that, that any of you have ever experienced that um, towards a spouse or a sibling. Well, maybe not. I'm sure, sure have, none of you guys have experienced that. But I know for me, when I overreact, I usually find myself shortly later where I'm in a position where I've got to apologize um, to patch things up or to, to mend a relationship, even though maybe I was right. It's just that I was maybe right in the wrong way. Or I was, have you ever been right in the wrong way? Or I was right, just at the wrong volume. Um, and that's what happens when I overreact. They kind of cause people to take notice, don't they? It surprises them because the volume or intensity of my reaction, well, it was more than what was expected or more than what was warranted. And sometimes that response maybe even contained a little bit of anger uh, or malice or, um, or even condemnation beyond what was appropriate. So let's consider one of these examples Jesus shared with us. A slap on the right cheek. Um, now, a slap on the right cheek, the, I believe the reason he says the right cheek is most people are right-handed. And if I slap someone on the right cheek, it would kind of be a backhanded slap. And in those days, that would be more of an, a slap intended to insult somebody than it would be to provide physical harm. Um, that's from several commentators I've read. So think about that slap, although none of us would embrace that, more as an insult than trying to create bodily harm by, by striking them in that way. But if a, a backhanded slap, what would a normal reaction be to that? Well, if, if, I was, if, if somebody slapped me, kind of backhanded me across the face, my normal reaction would be, I think, two things. One, I'd kind of take a defensive posture, probably ready for another one, and I'd maybe likely to smack them back. That would be a normal reaction, right? So what would an overreaction be? Well, an overreaction would be, well, we just kind of dial up the violence, dial up the force, right? Instead of smacking them back, it might be that we, we go after them with intent to cause harm. Maybe you try and punch them in the face. That would be an overreaction to, to that event. But, and that would draw some attention. You know, when we overreact, we tend to draw the attention of everyone around us. But there's another type of reaction that causes people to take notice. And that's what Jesus was talking about in the scripture. I guess we say it's an underreaction. See, if you were smacked in the cheek, one would cause you to be defensive, maybe even smack someone back. But Jesus doesn't teach that. In fact, he suggests for a slap on the cheek to turn the other cheek. When someone sues you and takes your shirt, to give them your coat. When someone forces you to go a mile, to go a second mile. When, if you have enemies, he tells us to love them. If we have, if we're persecuted or being persecuted, he tells us to pray for them. I mean, that's a complete underreaction than what's normal. 
And an underreaction would be an unexpected, kind of counterintuitive, and a remarkable reaction to disappointment, to being mistreated, uh, to unmet expectations, to being criticized, to being betrayed, maybe to loss or rejection. People would be equally surprised by our underreactions, even more because, well, they expected so much more in intensity or volume or even anger. You know, they may look at us and say, well, you should be angry, but you're not. Or, man, I know what happened to you, and you should be bitter, but you're not bitter. I know what those people did to you, and you should be going back on the offensive, but you're not retaliating. You should be letting everybody know what they did to you, but you're not. You should be hoping that person fails after how they treated you, but you're not hoping they fail. In fact, you should even be kind of conspiring against them, trying to bring them down, but you're not. What's going on? You know, after they let you down like that, you were still there for them? After they hurt you like that, you were willing to help them? You apologized? For, you didn't know an apology? You, what, you forgave them? Those are some of the reactions that people may have if we, as Christians, would underreact to some type of mistreatment. It catches people's attention. And I think Jesus was trying to teach us that mistreatment, when we're mistreated by others, it's an opportunity to react in such a way that it catches people off guard. Uh, because they realize there's an incongruence between the cause and the effect. Now, I'll add a disclaimer here. I'm not saying this applies in all situations. I don't believe we're being told not to defend ourselves if someone's trying to harm or abuse us or, or one of our family members. Uh, but that's not what I believe is talking about here. I think Jesus is talking about when someone criticizes us or mistreats us or even takes advantage of us in some way. See, he explained that he wants our reactions to be a reflection of who our Heavenly Father is. By underreacting or mistreated, we're able to reflect just a little of who God is to others. Someone told me once, they said, you know, if you think about a source of light, there's only two ways to shed light, either to be that source of light or to be a mirror that reflects that light into the darkness. And I believe Christ is telling us here, if we underreact, we're kind of like being that mirror, just reflecting a small piece of who Christ is or who our Heavenly Father is to others around us as a witness. But not only that, I think our reactions also reflect our confidence or our lack of confidence in God. See, here's where we, or I myself as a Christian, screw up sometimes. Because when things don't go in my way, well, I have a tendency to act or to react like God's not really in control. When... Think about this for a second. When do you overreact? Because I know when I ask myself that, when do I overreact? Well, it's when things feel like they're spinning out of control, or I'm under stress and one more thing happens that I can't control. I feel, well, I guess more specifically, when I feel like they're spinning out of my control is when I overreact. So I gotta ask myself, what do my reactions say about my confidence in God? I mean, if someone just looked at the way that I reacted in person, um, at home, at work, or 
or online, what would that say about my confidence in God? How would I react if I wanted to portray the fact that I am 100% confident in God? How would I act if I was going to live out Romans 8.28, where, where Paul writes, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I mean, if I was convinced of that, not just in my head, but in my heart, would I react differently? See, I think that's what Jesus requires of us. In response to criticism, being treated unfairly, or being wronged, what would it sound like if I was to react to if I really believed God was in control? Now, I know what you may be thinking. It just, it sounds so idealistic, but not very realistic. It just sounds so passive, almost soft. Um, and I'm, so I dug through the scriptures and thought, well, surely there's some examples of some of the disciples or Jesus followers kind of following this principle underreacting, right? I mean, he was teaching it to them during the Sermon on the Mount. So let's check out the gospel. I started looking, and Luke 9, I ran across the story here. Um, Jesus and disciples are on their way to Jerusalem, and they're cutting through Samaria, right? It's a village of Samaritans, and you know, the Jews, Samaritans, didn't really, oil and water, didn't really get along too well, but they're taking a shortcut through Samaria, and Jesus sends a few disciples ahead and says, hey, go ahead to this, this village, see, find a place for us to stay. Well, they, they get shot down. And so James and John come back, and James and John say, Lord, because they reject and said, no, keep moving, go on to the next town, we don't want you to stay here. And James and John said, Lord, um, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? Wait a minute. I mean, James and John were saying basically, God, you don't have to do anything, just give us the power. We'll go all Sodom and Gomorrah on them here and take care of them. We'll wipe them out. But that, wait a minute, that's not an underreaction at all, is it? In fact, that'd be, that'd be an overreaction, right? Yeah. So if I, and that's the same John later is writing God is love in John 3, 16, when he had a little more perspective. But no, that wasn't a very good example. Let me see. Um, in fact, I think about that time. I think about John and James saying that to Jesus, and he's got to be thinking, are you guys listening to anything I'm teaching? Um, but it got looking through John, and I thought I had a spot. Well, think about this. Chapter 18 of John tells a story when Jesus is arrested in the garden. And, well, he's arrested. Well, we know how Peter reacts. You remember that story, right? Peter draws his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers that's coming to arrest Jesus. But again, that's not an underreaction at all. That'd be, that's, that's an overreaction. And I kept going through the Gospels and I find the stories where they overreacted. I guess, and I'll be honest, I took a little guilty satisfaction. I'm thinking, man, I, I feel a little, a little, little pressure off me now because I know that I've got a tendency to overreact, seeing the disciples do the same. In fact, the more I look through it, it almost seems like the disciples didn't totally buy into that whole turn-the-other-cheek thing either. At least, not yet. Or that go-the-extra-mile? At least, not at that point. In fact, if you think it all sounds too soft or too passive, well, maybe James and John and Peter, maybe they thought the same thing. Because I couldn't find anywhere in the Gospels where there was a story of one of the disciples or that was kind of underreacting to mistreatment. You may be able to find it, but I couldn't. But I did find one example, and it wasn't disciple. It was Jesus' example. It was when they came to arrest him in the garden. 
he didn't resist. When they beat him and accused him, when they bribed witnesses to testify against him, when they took him before Pilate, and Pilate was confused. He, he understood the Jews hated this man, but he couldn't, but enough to kill him? And so Pilate had Jesus flogged, thinking that would appease the crowd, but it didn't. They demanded a crucifixion. And he called Jesus in to question him, and Jesus didn't even answer. And in John 19, 10, Pilate says, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? I mean, that Pilate was basically saying, Don't you know who I am? And you're not even responding? And in verse 11, Jesus said, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. How do you think Pilate understood that? Well, he could have thought Jesus was referring to the fact that he was kind of a middleman. Rome really was the authority figure, and he was, he was subservient to whatever Rome said. That could be. Or, or maybe Pilate got a glimpse from Jesus that there's something bigger this guy's talking about. And I've got to believe it might be the second, because in verse 12... Verse 12 said, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but he couldn't. He tried to set up situations where he could have an out, but he couldn't. See, Pilate didn't have as much power as he thought he did. And let's, but let's read what Peter writes later. Remember, Peter was there. He saw it all happen. He saw all of this, all the brutality leading up to the crucifixion. He saw Jesus not resist. He saw Jesus underreact. He saw Jesus forgive them. Let's read what Peter writes. And this was later, much later, after the resurrection, when Peter wrote 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, after the resurrection, the disciples, well, they understood then. It wasn't that Jesus was soft, passive, or weak. He simply, he entrusted himself to the one who controls the final outcomes, our Heavenly Father. So, really, that's the question for us next time we're mistreated, criticized, or minimized. How will we react? Because you've heard the expression that actions are louder than words, Right? I start to think, though, are reactions louder than actions? Because my actions I can often plan. My reaction? Well, that just comes out. In fact, it reminds me of the old, uh, the old saying, if I had a, a mug of coffee up here and, some, and you bumped into me, I would, what would happen? What would I spill? I'd spill coffee, right? And why? Somebody asked this one time, I said, well, because you bumped into me. He said, no, because there was coffee in the cup. He said, if you'd had milk in your cup and I bumped into you, what would you spill? Milk, right? So you spill what's ever inside the mug. But our reactions? Well, we're spilling what's ever inside of us. And so, as I've got thinking about that, yeah, actions are louder than words, but I think our reactions speak even louder than our actions. And here, Jesus, I think, tells us that we have an opportunity to show a glimpse of who God is, but also to show how much confidence that we have in God as being the one who, who judges justly.
so that's our question to us. Next time we're mistreated or marginalized or kind of dissed, will we underreact? Or will, will our actions demonstrate confidence in God? It would be my prayer, my prayer that we all may entrust ourselves to the one who controls the final outcomes, our Heavenly Father. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, and we give you thanks for your Son, who is a perfect example for us. May we impress these words upon our heart. May, may you tug out our hearts so that we may entrust you, knowing that you control the final outcomes. Amen.